Macworld Podcast number 199 for June 16th, 2010. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. We're less than a week away from iOS 4 for the iPhone and iPod Touch, and a little over that week away from the iPhone 4. Given the scads of iPhone news that will be coming out in the next few weeks, we're largely going to give all things iOS a rest and instead talk with Dan Frakes about the just-released Mac Mini and with Macworld Expo's general manager, Paul Kent, about where Expo stands at the mid-year point. Before we get to those interviews, I'd like to share this little rant with you. I said we're going to steer clear of the iPhone 4, but I can't let it go without commenting on yesterday's horrendous iPhone pre-order situation. I woke up Tuesday morning just after the crack of dawn with the idea that I'd place my order for the new iPhone 4 and then get on with my day. A look through my Twitter feed was the first indication that this wasn't going to be a smooth process. User after user complained of servers timing out, drop connections, and slow performance from the online Apple Store. But as some of these reports were as many as four hours old, I thought I'd give it a go. It was exactly as my Twitter pals warned. Some of the time, the connection timed out before I could get to the screen where I chose the phone I wanted. Others, I got as far as entering my current iPhone number, zip code, and last four social security digits before the process crapped out. Once, I was lucky enough to get so far that I received an error that my order couldn't be processed because I hadn't paid my bill, which was less than accurate. After three hours, I gave up, downloaded Apple's Apple Store application, and pre-ordered an iPhone 4 for pickup at my local Apple Store, which is anything but local. Within minutes, I received a confirmation for a 16-gigabyte black iPhone 4 that would cost me the small sum of just $599. This, after I'd confirmed with AT&T the week before that I could have it for just $199 plus an $18 upgrade fee thanks to AT&T's generous upgrade offer. So, I look forward to fighting with some poor, overworked Apple employee when I attempt to pick up my iPhone next week in Monterey, California. In the last straw department, this is pretty much it. The iPhone 4 is the fourth iteration of the iPhone in as many years, and yet, every single time we need to upgrade our iPhones, AT&T finds a way to screw it up. Apple, honestly, this company is cancer. Lovely as the iPhone may be, AT&T tarnishes it. With poor service, an inability to deliver tethering long after other carriers have provided it, Charging $20 for that tethering when it finally does deliver it without at the same time providing any extra data to go with it, the recent security hole that allowed 114,000 email addresses to be harvested by hackers, the bait-and-switch on the iPad's unlimited 3G plan, the list goes on and on. I understand that BP is likely to hold the number one spot on Billboard's corporate criminal charts for months to come, but AT&T certainly deserves a Lifetime Achievement Award. I'm under no great illusion that Verizon is any better. Everyone hates their mobile carrier. But please, for the sake of your iPhone's reputation, spread the pain out a little and move the iPhone to other carriers as soon as humanly possible. This partnership is poison, and the sooner it's severed, the better you and your products will look. And now Dan Frakes and I talk about Apple's new Mac Mini. I'm joined by Macworld Senior Editor Dan Frakes, the guy we turn to when someone has to dig deep into the guts of the Mac Mini. Dan has the Mac Mini released yesterday and is here with the details. Hi, Dan. Hey, how are you doing, Chris? Good. 
So on a wild day when most Apple enthusiasts were struggling to pre-order an iPhone, Apple decides to quietly release a Mac Mini. What's so sordid about this computer that Apple released it with so little fanfare? Well, you know, people say the Mac Mini has always been Apple's... uh the uh, black sheep of the family, uh, but uh, but uh, it's actually a pretty decent upgrade. They uh, they 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 kind of built, redid it from the ground up. It still is small and compact, but uh, it's almost like they took the Mac Mini and an Apple TV and kind of squished them together and threw away the plastic. All right. So, what are the differences between this Mini and the previous one? Well, the, the main thing uh, from the outside is just the look. It's it's a unibody uh, enclosure, so it, it looks. Uh, size and shape aside, it looks more like the latest uh, MacBooks rather than a, the, than a, the older Mac Mini. So it's it's all aluminum, one piece body. Uh, they they kept they bumped the speed up a little bit, but it now has the same uh, NVIDIA graphics uh, chip, integrated graphics chip that the uh, latest MacBooks do. So that's a big jump in uh, in processing power for for graphics. I think Apple says that uh, I met with Apple this morning about it, and they said that. Uh, they get up to two times the uh, the graphics performance out of uh, games and, and HD video. Uh, they um, uh, they also change a few of the inputs and outputs. Uh, the biggest one that a lot of many users have wanted for ages is actually an HDMI output. So you lose the DVI output that you got with the uh, the previous minis. Uh, you keep the display port, mini display port output, and uh, gain an HDMI output. And in the box, they throw a HDMI to DVI adapter. So you can now out of the box connect it to uh, any display or TV that uses mini display port, DVI, or HDMI. Uh, and they gained, uh, they gave us a, an SD card slot for a card reader for digital camera media cards uh, at the expense of losing one USB port, uh, although they stuck it in the back, which is a little odd. Uh, I mean, given the size of this thing, there's really nowhere else to put it. But uh, but I can tell you just from playing with it for a few hours today that it is kind of a pain that you know you've you've got to reach around the back. And when I asked Apple about this, they said, well, you know, it's seven inches long. It's not like you're really reaching that far. Yeah, but well, except you can't people, see it, so you right, have to kind right. of feel around. Exactly, and a lot of people use these things in you know home entertainment centers or in in cabinets where it's not that easy to get behind it. Just you know, every time you want to to plug in or unplug an SD cards, so uh, so it was a little inconvenient, but uh, it's uh, it was a welcome change. I know just for me today, just taking it from one room to the other, getting screenshots from things I was taking uh, pictures of on the screen. Uh, from one Mac to the other, it was kind of nice just to stick an SD card slot in there and then come back and stick it in another computer in the other room, but uh, uh, especially for, for photos and stuff, it'll be great. Okay, so when you connect it to a TV, does it give you 1080p output or 720p? Yeah, when you actually, when you connect it to a TV, uh, the, the display's uh, uh, pane of system preferences or the display's menu will show you TV resolutions in addition to uh, any supported computer resolutions. So, for example, if you've got an HD TV that does... Uh, 720p, 1080p, and several uh, resolutions that are, you know, computer compatible, they'll all show up and you can switch directly to 1080p, which is kind of nice. Okay, cool. How much easier is it to get inside this Mini than the last one? Well, it depends on what you want to do. Uh, if all you want to do is upgrade the RAM, it's much easier. In fact, it, it may be the easiest Mac ever to upgrade RAM on because uh, when you flip it over onto its back or on top, or whatever the case may be, uh, however you want to call it, the... Uh, there's a big black plastic disc that sort of covers the, the, the bottom of it. It acts as a foot. And it's got two little indentations, one for each thumb. So you put your thumbs on there and you just shift it about you know four or five degrees counterclockwise. 
and it just pops off and there's the ram and there's the ram uh, slots so there's not even any screws or or or, or connectors to undo. It just pops right off and lets you upgrade the RAM. So I think I'm trying to remember any other Mac that was ever that easy to upgrade the RAM on, and I can't think of any. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you want to go beyond that, though, for example, the hard drive, then you get into a little, a little more work. Uh, everything beyond the RAM is actually screwed down with a bunch of different um, uh, bolts and some mesh screens and uh, underneath a, a, an exhaust fan. So I haven't gotten that far on it yet, partly because this is Apple's machine that I'm using today. Oh, yeah. Uh, I may wait until we get our own to take apart. Uh, but it appears as though uh, it may be a little bit more work to do the hard drive on this than on the previous uh, Mac Mini. Okay, so no putty knives for this because it's a unibody. Yeah, yeah. I, someone on, on our forums today uh, said, oh, but you're still going to need a putty knife. And I, I haven't had a chance to reply yet, but um, to say there's no seams anywhere. <laughs> it's just a big chunk of aluminum. Uh, uh, apart from, you know, the, the, the place where the connectors are in the back, it is really one solid piece. So this one, if you're going to take it apart, it's going to involve a lot more screws and prying apart pieces rather than taking the thing, you know, a top and a bottom. Okay. So there's also a server option. And uh, mm-hmm. what is that and, and why would someone want one? Well, it, it's the same as in the previous generation of Mac Minis in that they took the standard one, took out the optical drive and stuck a second hard drive in there, which if you've seen this new one is actually kind of incredible because with the last one, you know, it was two and a half inches, whatever high. I'm not sure what the exact spec was, but it was pretty chunky. Mm-hmm. This new one is only, it's less than an inch and a half tall. It It really is almost like an Apple TV, and they got two hard drives in there. It's, it's pretty amazing. With that. And they're 7,200 RPM hard drives, uh, unlike the 5,400 RPM drives on the, the standard version. So you've got two you know, warmer, hotter, whatever you want to call it, hot, uh, hard drives in this tiny enclosure. Uh, so the idea is that it's just, it's more, it, it offers a little bit better performance and more storage uh, for server-type tasks, you know, for for serving a web uh, websites or or file server or mail server whatever, uh, and it comes with a copy of uh, Snow Leopard server. So, uh, which you know, for those of you who ever bought a Mac OS X server, it used to be nine hundred ninety nine dollars by itself, mm-hmm. and uh, with the last revision of uh, of the Mac Minis when they debuted the Mac Mini with Snow Leopard or with Leopard server at the time it was, uh, they dropped the price to four ninety nine for the software, and then you kind of get the, the Mac Mini for 500 bucks. Uh, but it's a pretty good deal, and it's a pretty decent little server if you don't need, uh, you know, a huge amount of storage. Okay, now speaking of cramming stuff into a little space, they no longer have the uh, big power brick in the middle of the <laughs> cord, so where's that? Right, and that was the other thing that I thought was pretty amazing. Uh, in addition to, for the server version, being able to... Screw, to um, to squish two hard drives in there on both models, the server and non-server, they were able to take the uh, the, the power supply and actually make it internal. So uh, it's a little bit smaller now in terms of the the power. Instead of being a hundred and I think hundred ten watt power supply, it's now at eighty five. Mm-hmm. But they they even made it smaller still, and uh, they were able to fit it, just kind of stick it in next to the RAM slots inside there. And in our slideshow that we put up earlier this week at MockWorld.com. Uh, we, we've got a picture of that where you can see the insides and see where the uh, the power supply fits, and it's pretty small. So the only thing there is now is just uh, – in fact, it's the, almost the exact same power cord as on the Apple TV, which also has an internal power supply. It just plugs right into the back, a thin cable to the wall, and that's it. 
Okay. So I know you've had this mini for very little time, but do you get a sense that if you want to run it at its fastest, you'll boot this from an external FireWire drive as you have with other minis? Yeah, we did find uh, earlier, early last year, I guess it was, when we when we uh, when Apple did the first big refresh of the Mac Mini in a long time, we did find out last year with last year's mini models that probably the biggest um, uh, the biggest thing keeping it from from performing really well was the internal hard drives. They're laptop drives, so they're low power. Uh, they're fifty four hundred RPM, so they're they're not real fast. Uh, and uh, if we if we hooked up an external FireWire drive, especially a, a FireWire eight hundred drive. And booted off that drive, we got much better performance. And I can't say for sure that that's going to be the case with this, but my guess is it probably is going to be because there's really nothing much, at least on the non-server unit, that uh, that has changed in terms of that you know input-output. I'm guessing that the the hard drive speed is still going to be one of the limiting factors uh, for the the server version. Now that it's using dual 7200 RPM drives, it might be a little faster in that respect, but. Uh, I still wouldn't be surprised, uh, based on our tests last year, if uh, FireWire 800 drive is going to give you better performance. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the value of this Mac? It's six hundred ninety-nine dollars, which is a yeah. hundred dollars more than the previous unit. So, what is it about this Mini that makes it worth the extra hundred bucks? Yeah, I, I do think that it's kind of unfortunate. Um, the, the the price they they uh, in the last year's models, you had two models, sort of an entry level model, and then one that was beefed up a little bit for five ninety nine and seven ninety nine respectively. And at the time, we we even said that the seven ninety nine models weren't really that good of value. I mean, you you got a little bit faster processor and a maybe a bigger hard drive. Uh, there wasn't much else you got for that two hundred dollars. And so we recommended people got the smaller one, and then if they could upgrade the RAM themselves, and if they needed more hard drive space, buy an external drive. And you ended up with a machine that for that same extra $200 was actually much faster and had more storage and more RAM. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, they got rid of two con- the, the two configurations, and you get only one. It's either the server or a single non-server version for $699. And so the, the minimum you can pay for a Mac Mini now is $100 more, and you don't get a lot more than you did before. Uh, you get... A slightly faster processor. It's 2.4 gigahertz as opposed to uh, I think it was was it two two was it two two six last year like on the, or, or, or yeah uh, the same two gigabytes of RAM. You get a twice the hard drive space. So instead of 160, which was really kind of you know paltry mm-hmm. for a for a computer in 2009, uh, you get 320 gigabyte, which is more long you know your typical laptop nowadays. Uh, but the rest of the specs are, are are pretty similar. Of course, of course, you get the the much better graphics chip with the new Nvidia uh, uh, GPU. Uh, you get the the card reader and things like that. But yeah, we've jumped in price a hundred dollars. But it's also a year later, um, and so it seems. I, I think the value is is not quite where it was a year ago. Um, uh, and I'm sure that for a lot of people, it's going to be worth it if they were looking for HDMI and and are using this in a in a home entertainment center, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, it is, it's kind of sad to see that 599 price point go away, especially because even that was a jump from the 499 price that we had a few years back. Yeah. And I think there's something psychological about it. When I see 599, I, take away the 99 and I think, oh, that's half a thousand dollars. Right. And you really can't do that now. You see 699, you think $700. And then you start doing the math and going, well, you know, for another 200, I could have 
A MacBook. A MacBook. <laughs> and if I throw a little more money at it, I can get an iMac. So I think it, you suddenly start yeah. balancing the numbers instead of just saying, wow, I can get a Mac for just 500 plus $99. Yeah, yeah it, it is. I, I completely agree with you. There is a psychological thing there. When I see six ninety nine, I, I see seven hundred dollars, yeah. and seven hundred dollars for um, for an entry level Mac is. And don't get me wrong; it's really a nice machine. I, I, people are going to harp about about well, for seven hundred dollars, I could get a you know a Dell or whatever that it's, you know, has all these different you know hard drive bays and this and that and stuff. I, and I mean, that may be true, although at the same time, it also probably won't have all the features this Mac Mini has, but yeah, I've always been a fan of the of the Mac Mini because uh, because of its it, it, it's a great little unit for its size, um, and it it really does have a lot of features uh, despite that size, and, it, and it's always performed rather, relatively well, and especially in the last you know year and a half since Apple really upgraded it, uh, it's you know it's a solid everyday computer, um, and this new one is definitely uh, even nicer. I mean. The biggest thing I noticed when I picked it up is that it just it feels like a rock. I mean, the unibody enclosure. We've all said this about the the, the Apple laptops, just how solid they feel with the new unibody enclosures. But it's also the case with the uh, the new Mac Mini. It's a single piece of aluminum, and you pick it up, and it feels like you could you know go around bashing rocks with it. It, it really feels solid. Yeah. And uh, and these new features really make. A difference. I, I had it hooked up to an HD TV here earlier today, and I was watching some movie uh, clips on it, and doing some things, uh, y- you know, just that I would do every day, as if I had hooked this up and used it as a computer. And it's plenty fast for most things. So, so I don't think that, um, you know, I don't look at it and say, "Wow, that's just." I would never pay that much for a computer because I think for most people, it's you know, you throw in a, a display and a keyboard, and it's more computer than they'll probably use. But like we said, you know, it just seems, given what you can get out there from from other other companies, and given that the the Mac Mini itself used to be four ninety nine and then five ninety nine, six ninety nine just seems to be um, going the wrong direction for, you know, for for a computer that that is what you get if you don't want to spend the money for a laptop or an iMac. Right. So, do you think this spells curtains for the Apple TV? <laughs> yeah, I asked Apple today. I said. Uh, we had a conversation about this during our briefing, and uh, and I said, you know, so you've, so you've added a, a uh, an HDMI port, uh, so I guess kind of an acknowledgement that a lot of people use these instead of an Apple TV. And they said, well, yeah, we we recognize that people use the Mac Mini in many different scenarios, uh, and many of those, as you said, are home theater, and so it it just it made sense to us uh, to put it in, and uh, we kind of. Had a little laugh, as you know, journalists will when they talk to Apple about things that we know Apple's never going to comment on, mm-hmm. um, and uh, of course they wouldn't comment on anything like this. But uh, you know, it, I mean, you've you've covered this many times. You know that that for a lot of people, especially tech-savvy people, a Mac Mini is a much better way to go than an Apple TV because, in addition to doing most of what the Apple TV can do, it's a computer and it can do you know a lot more. Mm-hmm. But you also know that with an Apple TV, you plug it in, turn it on, and it works. Whereas with a Mac Mini, you've got to jump through some hoops to get the software on there, and then you know to get it working with your TV. And and uh, there's there's always you're always trying to you always do have to interact with with the OS at some point to get mm-hmm. things working. So it's not as simple. You know, uh, I think this does help the HDMI port especially because you know, like we said, now you plug it in and it's, TV resolutions show up immediately and 
um, Apple's tweaked the displays prefs. So in the in system preferences, the displays pane, there's now an, an underscan setting. So if you if you plug it into your TV and it's you know too big for the screen or too small for the screen, uh, you can actually adjust and it will it will adjust the underscan so that it fits your screen mm -hmm. exactly. So that's a big thing. I mean, I remember two years ago even you and me and Jason and and some of the other editors. We'd be trying to get this thing hooked up to an HDTV, and we'd be downloading Switch Res or some other third-party resolution switching utility just to get it to, to look right. And even then, it might you know be too big or at the bottom or the top edge of the screen. So this definitely makes it much easier to hook up to an HDTV. But um, you know, I still think there's 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 a there's there's something out there for Apple if they want to just if they if they were to. I mean, it sounds funny, but what Apple needs is a is a box that hooks up to your TV and lets you do all the things that that you want to do with your TV. Um, and the Apple TV is not that thing right now. Uh, it just, you know, it just it's too limited in what it could let you do, and uh, and uh, to the, the the options for getting content on there are are too limited. Uh, so, I think if anything, to, to answer your question in a roundabout way, I think if anything spells the death of the Apple TV right now, it's just it's the fact that Apple hasn't done anything with it for how many years. Yeah. Um, uh, not that this is necessarily the the death knell for it. Uh, I I still think there's room for for that product out there if Apple would do something with it. Uh, and uh, I mean, Jason and I have been testing the new Roku boxes, uh, and just the fact that Roku recently added a, a new Netflix interface has made the thing. You know, two hundred percent more useful to us mm -hmm. because you can now go on and and navigate Netflix right there from your from your couch or your bed without having to go do half the stuff on the computer and half the stuff on the TV. Uh, and so, to me, that was just even more evidence that it, you know there's there's a there's a use you know there's a, there's a place out there for these kind of things. Yeah, I think so. And and this gets closer. Having HDMI on there is is certainly a step forward, but it needs Blu-ray, and it needs a beefed up front row interface because what front row yes. does now isn't enough. It was right. five years ago, but they haven't done much to it in the last five years. And if they really want this to be the Apple TV killer, which I think they need, um, it could be, you know, but just yeah. th put the Blu-ray in there. I know it's a bag of hurt, Steve, but just put it in yeah. there. Cause we like Blu-ray and, uh, and make front row easy so that, I, as geek in the family, don't have to be the one that controls this so that my daughter can use it and punch a button right. and there's front row. And now, oh, look, I can use all the media capabilities on this box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, there was a nervous laugh during the, the Apple briefing today when they first showed it to me. I said, hey, it looks kind of like a, 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 an Apple TV with a, an optical drive. If only that was what it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I made kind of a joke about it, and everybody kind of laughed in the room. And it was kind of one of those laughs where, you know, everybody kind of agrees with you, but they also don't want to, you know, agree with you, and uh, or else they've heard enough of it that yeah. they understand where you're from. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, an, an Apple. I mean, I, yeah, I know Apple's trying to get away from optical discs and stuff, but the truth is, people still use them, and um, I don't know anybody who has an Apple TV that doesn't also have. Uh, you know, a DVD player, at least, if not a Blu-ray player. I mean, yeah. and, and there's no, it's not like if you put the two next to each other, the world, you know, ends. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's almost the what you, what you, the feeling you get from Apple is that, oh, you know, we cannot put anything next to it into an Apple TV that, that, that you know, 
that acknowledges people still use optical discs, but uh, but they do, and and you know that's the number one thing I hear from people when I talk about the Apple TV is, you know, if it had an optical drive, so I could get rid of my DVD player, my Blu-ray player, stick it there, I could use it for all the discs when I have discs, and I could use it for you know, Netflix when I have Netflix when I do Netflix, I could use it for buying things from iTunes. Um, I mean, it'd be like a dream machine for a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, and this is close, but again, not quite it. So I know you've been yeah. writing a lot about this. So where can people learn more about the new Mac Mini? Well, we put up a slideshow uh, on, um, on on Tuesday about it. And then we're also, I believe we posted either Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, our, uh, our hands-on article, which was sort of our first day's uh, you know, use with it. And then uh, our, our pal Jim Galbraith is doing uh, benchmarks for it that will be posted um, – uh, maybe Friday of this week, and then we're going to have a review next week. So uh, we're we're taking a good look and putting it through its paces. And uh, uh, by next week, you should have about as much as you might want to know about this thing. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Dan. I know you've been getting up early to uh, trot down to Apple and try to order a phone. So uh, get some sleep. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Now, Paul Kent and I preview MacWorld Expo 2011. I'm joined by Paul Kent, General Manager of Macworld Expo, for a half-year check-in to see how things are shaping up for next year's Expo. Thanks for being here, Paul. Thanks, Chris. It's a half-year check-in. Didn't we just end Macworld yesterday? Uh, no, it seemed, time flies when you're sitting on the phone trying to order iPhones. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, but once I, I hear what's coming up. So the first obvious question is, when and where will Macworld Expo 2011 be? Got it. So good news, everybody. We're still not the first week of January in 2011. The show this year will be at the end of January. The conferences will run the 26th through the 29th, and the expo will run the Thursday through Saturday again, the 27th through 29th. Uh, So three days of expo, four days of conferences. Well, I will say that um, as somebody who covers expo extensively, I am so glad that it's not the first or second week in January and that it's uh, – I can enjoy Christmas and New Year's as, as I did last year. I get so many more nice mails about it not being in the first week of January. I used to get a lot of hate mails about it being the first week of January. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was always, it's always great to go to, but um, having it that close in was, uh, was a challenge. So, yay. 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 So um, a significant number of vendors sat out last year's show to see how strong it was and therefore – worth their time. Last year, I think you've proved that it's a viable show and and more than that. So um, how are you doing getting some of those fence sitters to commit this year? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, here's a good update. So uh, for the first few months after Macworld, we were only open for re-sign. So we wanted to reward those exhibitors that uh, had participated last year uh, and give them an opportunity, first chance at where they wanted to be, um, you know, and what size they wanted to be. And a good uh, mid-year update is Right now, we're about double where we were middle of June last year. So there's about 75 exhibitors that are signed up now. Um, And remember, we're six months away from the event. So we're really happy. So 75 exhibitors. And even more impressive than that, we're over double the amount of booth space. So most of the exhibitors that are returning have taken bigger properties. And, you know, they're really great names. So HP, Microsoft, Dr. Bot. Sennheiser, there's really great companies that are participating uh, moving forward. So that's a really kind of cool thing. Uh, We've just recently opened up to um, return exhibitors. 
uh, we'll call return exhibitors, people who weren't last year, sat on the fence, wanted to see what the first macro with that Apple would be like. Uh, they saw it, and universally we had great reviews of what the show was last year, and those conversations are going great. I, I don't have I, – I have a couple of cool ones that are just about to come in. I, I want to say this. We have a July 15th deadline that uh, is a discount for exhibitors, and a lot of – I think we're going to go right down to the deadline there. And right around July 15th, we'll have a lot of those return exhibitors because they can save quite a bit of money uh, on a 10 by 10 10 by 20 20 by 20 booth. $500 on a 10 by 10 booth. So uh, it's a pretty good situation. Uh, and I think around July 15th, we'll have some really good um, um, announcements of some of those cool returning companies. But all the conversations have been going great. And uh, we're real close to getting some big announcements going. Cool. Okay. So I know that for the past couple of years, you've talked to developers and attendees about how Expo could be more attractive to them. And that's usually happens like the last day of Expo. So have any plans come out of those discussions? So there's several changes that we have made and several more changes that we're making. So when we held the town hall back in 2009, the biggest thing was allow us to buy one-day conference passes, which we did, and that mm-hmm. was a really successful program, and give us a little bit more networking time. So the conferences are designed with a little bit more space in there so people can go and take the educational sessions but then also meet with the people who they want. And they also want to make sure, always, what people ask of us at Macworld is make sure that there's good critical mass of exhibitors that are on the show floor. So we do intelligent things to try and shape the show floor, not just, you know, we open our doors for business and anybody who wants to exhibit can exhibit, but we actually kind of go out and create good programs to bring the right type of people to the show. A good example of that is clearly one of the hottest areas uh, in the Mac marketplace has been the emergence of the app developer. And so last year, we launched the mobile app showcase as a um, program to kind of stay and present attendees with the, the most interesting new developments. So that mobile app showcase is right where the Macro booth was last year, was really busy, was really vibrant, and lots of great things. We've doubled the space allocated for the app the mobile app showcase to accommodate what inevitably will be all of the iPad developers that will be participating. Mm-hmm. So mobile app showcases of interest. And then also users, attendees want to see more cool stuff to do with their Mac. And so we're being very proactive about creating a program for the indie Mac developer. So if you want to find cool Mac OS 10 software, Macworld will really stimulate uh, those uh, exhibitors to bring their products and show them. And it's a great opportunity for those developers. So we've created turnkey ways. A lot of those companies in the indie space, they're smaller companies. They don't have full-time marketing staffs. They don't own a trade show booth. We've created a way for them to come at very low cost. We build it all out. They don't know, have to need to know very much about about trade shows, uh, they basically come with their Mac and they can set up and be um, uh, demonstrating in a matter of moments. So a very concentrated effort on bringing indie developers to Macworld is of importance to this year. And so we have the indie spotlight area, which will be that. So mobile application showcase and the indie spotlight are two ways that we shape the show according to what developers, uh, attendees, excuse me, tell us that they want to see at the show. Okay. Now, at WWDC this year, we heard virtually nothing about Mac OS X from Apple. It was all about the iPhone and iOS. And that leaves a lot of people talking about what's happening to the Mac and what's happening with Mac products. So how balanced do you expect Expo will be in regard to the Mac and iOS? Macworld covers the broad spectrum of things going on in the Apple products marketplace. You know, right now, there are interesting things coming out for all products. Um, the show floor 
um, you know, we have the larger companies, the HPs and the Microsofts that are large Mac, Mac OS and Mac hardware um, third-party developers. Um, I think that, that there will be more of a balance in the same way that the marketplace is is evolving. Macworld is just a mirror of what's going on in the broader Apple products marketplace. So right now, apps are hot, and so we're seeing a lot of app developers coming to the show. Um, I imagine if we get any kind of a Mac update or a Mac OS X update, uh, and there's a lot of innovation in the development community that, that extends uh, the, the update extends to, we'll see more in, interesting things there, though. But if you really want to just kind of sit at 10,000 feet and understand what Macworld is, truly a mirror on what's going on in the broader Apple products marketplace. When the iPod first came out, we had we had a proliferation of uh, iPod uh, accessory vendors. That was what was going on in the marketplace. So in addition to these efforts we have are trying to kind of stimulate the market and, and shape the show floor, what you see coming to us are people who are trying to take advantages of, um, of, uh, of the latest um, turns in the marketplace. Okay. Now, is anything going to change about the conference sessions next year? And again, I know we're six months out, so who knows? Importantly, um, what I just shared with you is that the conference is the 26th to the 29th. Those with a calculator will astutely understand that that's four days of conferences, whereas traditionally we've been five days. Mm -hmm. A real quick backstory to that is the process of moving Macworld out of the first week of January means that we're kind of wedging ourselves into open holes in the Moscone um, calendar. Last year we were able to get some great dates in February. This year we've been presented with these dates in late January, but only enough to do a four-day conference. So a couple of the changes that we have, uh, whereas we used to do before the expo floor opened, these two-day power tools, Mm -hmm. they'll only be one-day pre-conference workshops and then three days of our users conference and our Mac IT conference. Okay, so then what happens to these things that used to be these full-day sessions? Do they get condensed or are you looking for different kind of content? There's a couple things. So some of the things will get... um, will get brought into the broader user or IT conference session. So I just had a really interesting meeting with our IT advisory committee. And the direction that I gave them was, uh, if there was something that requires two days of content, let's create another track in the conference and, uh, and we'll accommodate it that way. So the IT, which used to be two-day, broad-day, separate thing that you had to buy, this is actually a, a benefit to the attendee. Now it's included. Of course, you have... You have the downside of now having to choose between what you're going to do, which conference sessions you're going to go to. But the content will, will definitely be included somewhere uh, in, the, uh, in the conference format. So those two-day things that used to happen pre-conference now kind of get sucked into the, the proper conferences themselves. Okay, so we're not losing content. Absolutely not. And there's so much cool stuff to talk about. I mean, you know, this whole area of, of the iOS is, is just really fascinating. And all not only apps, but how apps work together to form – um, to form solution changes um, to how uh, iOS is being deployed in the enterprise, um, what people are doing with the creative apps. I mean, there's this whole thread, amazing vitality of photography apps, right, mm-hmm. for, for the iPad and the iPhone. And now that the iPhone 4 looks like it's going to have a, a useful camera, I say with not a hint of sarcasm. <laughs> uh, we'll see. You know, getting to 5 megapixel and having a little bit of light behind your pictures, all these are good things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think we'll be able to really show people how to enjoy using uh, the iPhone 4 camera quite a bit. Okay. Now, I know that uh, we are six months out, and a lot of people are interested in presenting and speaking at Macworld. And actually, they, they may have time to sign up now. So if, if someone wanted to speak at Macworld, how would they do it? 
Absolutely. They can go to our um, call for papers, which is at www.macworldexpo.com slash speakers. Macworldexpo.com slash speakers. And all of the details about how you submit an idea for, um, for presenting at Macworld. And it talks all about what the formats of the presentations are. And we actually select about 10% of our total um, conferences come from suggestions from the general public. So if you've developed a unique skill or have uh, developed a unique way to put Apple technology to work in, in a unique environment, um, we would want to hear from you because we always want to present as interesting and vibrant a conference as possible. And a lot of these comes from the people who are out there in the field putting the tools to work. And so if you have an idea, any of the listeners out there have an idea, please, macroexpo.com slash speakers, submit an application and send it in. Absolutely no cost to submit an application. We want to know about you. And, you know, it may not be selected as a, as a proper session by itself, but if it's someone who looks like would add uh, interest to uh, the, the attendees, we definitely would find a way to put you in a panel or find some way to get you involved with the event. Cool. So we talked about developers and bringing them back in. Now, what would you say to attendees who skipped Expo last year to bring them back? Well, the first thing I would say is go read about what a great time people had at Macworld last year. So while I understand that people wanted to understand what was going on with Macworld, the show floor was packed. There were six different venues that uh, exhibitors showed products for the first time at Macworld. So you get a chance to what Macworld's always been great for is, is a place for developers to bring their newest products and announce them to the world. We had over 600 press people covering the Apple product space from around the world that were there. So there was a lot of uh, new product um, things going on. And that was in a year where the economy was bad and people were kind of questioning what Macworld would be like. We've I think successfully turned the corner and the light is now shine. Whereas Macworld used to be a place that whatever Apple's latest announcement was, was really all of the news. Now the light is completely on the third party community. So if you're an app developer, an accessory developer, uh, a, a software developer for Mac OS, Macworld is a fantastic place for you to bring your products and a fantastic place for attendees to come discover new products. So you come to Macworld for three reasons. You come to discover new products you come to learn how to use and enjoy using your Apple products even better. And you come for kind of the face-to-face uh, incarnation of social networking, all the cool meetups that happen. Uh, all the, remember, everybody under the, that roof has a common denominator. They're all Apple product users. And Macworld is famous for having a vibe that, uh, that there's a lot of love in the room, you could say, that um, you're meeting up with people who have a common denominator, a common passion for great technology. And that's what Macworld delivers. Okay. So where can our listeners go for more information on Macworld Expo? Yeah, follow everything that's going on with the 2011 show at www.macworldexpo.com. Uh, all announcements for 2011, we'll, soon we'll be posting exhibitor lists. Soon we'll be posting, uh, once this call for papers process is over, um, we'll be posting the conference agenda. So follow us all along, macworldexpo.com. And you can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash macworld, and our Twitter feeds. Uh, there are various macro Twitter feeds between the magazine and the expo that people can can just do searches on and find. Excellent. Thanks very much for being here, Paul. All right, Chris. Nice to talk to you again. And that wraps up this edition of the Macro Podcast. I'd like to thank Dan Frakes, Paul Kent, and of course you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-520-9761. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac, iPod, iPad, iPhone, and technology news views and information 
at Macworld.com. Thanks very much for listening. See you next time.